0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it is not Kyle Madsen. He is still in Hawaii. I can't believe that guy. The nerve to go on vacation during the bye week. But joining me is Meredith Kane of 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, and the Rebuild podcast, the Browns podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Meredith, how's it going?
1: Oh, not bad. Just uh, waiting for Monday. Because it's it's very strange. I was talking to someone earlier about how weird it feels to have Sundays off, because I've been in, I've been working in football for so long that to me like Sundays are football days. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at this weekend and saying, oh my gosh, I've got Saturday and Sunday off. What do I do?
0: Yeah, it's really strange for me because it, I'll have the two Sundays in a row to just sit around and, and watch oh, football right. and see what's going on. Because the Niners had their bye last week and and now they play on Monday night this week. So. It's good. It's it's nice. It's refreshing to to see to have that like fan experience again. Just just be able to like plop on red zone and then throw another game on the iPad and and take it all in. So uh, but before we get going and, and previewing this 49ers and Browns Monday night game with Meredith, I, there there's some news of the day. The 49ers on Thursday, uh, we're recording this Thursday night. They placed rookie receiver Jalen Hurd and cornerback Jason Verrett on injured reserve. So Hurd has a, a stress fracture in his back the 49ers initially thought a couple weeks ago that he could be back after the bye it looks like they're they're going to wait and see if he can come back later in the season obviously it's a, it it means he'll have to be out another 8 weeks at minimum before he can come back and Jason Verrett had a knee issue flare up it's the same knee that he dealt with his ACL injury a couple years ago with the Chargers verrett obviously got the, got the opportunity to replace Akela Witherspoon in that game uh, before the bye when when the 49ers beat the Steelers but he gave up the long pass interference penalty and then a touchdown a to play later um, so he's going to be out for a prolonged period of time I would imagine Verrett's season is over just given his lengthy injury history and we'll have to see if he has a future in the NFL going forward given all the injury issues in his past including now the ACL again following last year's Achilles injury. So the 49ers' depth is going to be challenged a little bit. If if there is a silver lining, I don't think either either of these guys would have played on, on Monday, but it is a hit to the depth. Uh, Jalen Hurd is somebody the 49ers had really high hopes for his rookie season, so it could be that uh, he doesn't get back into the mix until far later in the year, and, and we'll have to see how healthy he is and if he can get worked back into the offense because the 49ers are also hoping Trent Taylor Another slot receiver can return around the same time. So that is the news of the day. Uh, you can go. You can go read more about it at the dot slash forty niners. Shameless plug alert. I apologize for that, but we brought Meredith here to talk about the Browns because she is our resident Browns expert. Uh, she is very I mean, much expert in. Expert is a
1: little bit far. <laughs> I appreciate it. I don't know if I'd say expert.
0: Well, you're you have a Browns podcast. That's you're true. ingrained in Cleveland. You're very familiar with with what the fan base is feeling uh, in that part of the country.
1: That's true. I curious. have I have trouble taking credit and calling myself an expert in just about anything.
0: Well, <laughs> so what is what what's the feeling just in Cleveland right now about this Browns team? Because they came into the season with extremely high expectations, just given how talented the roster is. How last season ended. Then they get blown out in, in week one. And then a couple uneven performances against the Jets and the Rams. Then they have a really nice win on the road against a really good Ravens team. And now, despite maybe sputtering out the gate, they're 2-2 two and two and tied for the lead atop the AFC North. Just where are people at with with this Browns team in Cleveland, and and what are they expecting from them going forward?
1: I think there's a lot of renewed positivity in Cleveland. Uh, Going into the season, there was very high expectations, and I think it was really disappointing in week one to not see the Browns be what we thought they would be And now and after week four that I mean, man, that game against the Ravens is exactly what everyone was expecting out of the offensive line. It's what everyone was expecting out of the defensive line. And I think there's a lot of confidence out of that, too, because in week three, I mean, the entire secondary was out. It was all backups. And then going into last week as well, three quarters of that secondary were still backups. And to see them perform like that and to see them you know, hold up like that, gave a lot of renewed confidence with that. And then the offense was just clicking against the Ravens over and over and over again. And I think that has really brought in a lot of positive feelings. I think people are feeling really, really good uh, about this Monday night game. And I think that uh, I, I think people are expecting the Browns to kind of Build off of the momentum that they had against the Ravens. So I mean, it's it was a little down at first. Uh, people were not happy, but like that was like one of the weirdest things. And uh, Peter and I talked about that on the Rebuild podcast in week two about uh, how the team won. We were looking at it and saying we don't feel good about this win. Like this is a really annoying thing to have a win and not feel good about it. So I think the the game against the Ravens was exactly what this town needed to renew their spirits and to renew their positivity about this team
0: yeah, and and I think these teams are really similar, just in that they haven't really been able to play consistently on a on a weekly basis to this point. the 49ers have have been pretty good against pretty inferior opponents to this point. They're third in the league in scoring, uh, eighth in the league in opponent scoring, third in the league in total defense, and fourth in the league in total offense. So it's a balanced team right now, but that being said, their wins have come against Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, and, and Pittsburgh, who I think are three and eight combined. And obviously Tampa Bay is looking a lot better after, you know, beating beating Tampa Bay in that opener is looking a lot more impressive than uh, than we initially thought, just given that Tampa Bay just beat the Rams on the road. But I, I look at these two teams, the 49ers and Browns, in, in a very similar scope in that they're very talented teams. Uh, they have been really inconsistent. They, they have... Uh, Offensive-minded head coaches, who Kyle Shanahan has a longer track record of success than, than Freddie Kitchens, but Kitchens is somebody who's been on some really good staffs. Um, I just I, I don't know what to make of this game because these teams have both gotten off to roller coaster starts to their season, and I'm not sure which one's going to play better on Monday night because the Browns are coming off a really nice win in Baltimore, the 49ers are coming off their bye week following a sloppy performance against the Steelers in which they turned the ball over five times and still managed to win, thanks largely to Mason Rudolph not being particularly good in his first start and getting a late fumble uh, forced by Eric Armstead that set up the game-winning touchdown with just over a minute left in the fourth quarter. But I don't know which team is going to is gonna play well, which was, which is what makes Monday's game so intriguing from my standpoint.
1: I honestly think it's going to come down to coaching uh, because when you look at these teams, I feel like they're very evenly matched. Like you've got a, a handful of superstars on each team. Like the the Niners have George Kittle and you've got Jimmy Garoppolo when he's healthy, he looks great. And then on the Brown side, you've got Miles Garrett, you've got OBJ. Uh, hopefully Jarvis will be back, but I doubt it. He's still in concussion protocol, uh, but just talent wise, I feel like these teams are very evenly matched. Uh, I do think it's going to come down to coaching because I think that's what did the Browns in, during week one, is that Vrabel out coached Freddie Kitchens? I don't think that he was prepared for that level of NFL coaching in his first game. And Kyle Shanahan has more head coaching experience and just has more coaching experience in general than Freddie does. So I really do think that it'll it's gonna come down to the to the coaching in this game.
0: Yeah, and I also think that the injuries could could be massive too. You mentioned Jarvis Landry. The the Forty Nineers uh, on their side, they're going to be without their left tackle Joe Staley, their veteran, their six time Pro Bowl left tackle.
1: Uh, pray Arguably for Jimmy. Pray for Jimmy G then, because Miles Garrett <laughs> might put him in a body bag.
0: We'll, well, we'll talk about that in a second, but I, I want to bring up another point and talk about Odell Beckham Jr. because the Forty ers are also missing a starting cornerback and Akella Witherspoon, who's going to be out for at least a few more games with a foot injury suffered in that in the second half of that Steelers game Uh, they're going to go with Emmanuel Mosley who was an undrafted rookie in 2018 somebody who came out of Tennessee but is really impressive 49ers just with his intelligence he had a really good training camp he's he's a really feisty player he's not the biggest guy but um, he's got versatility he can play in in the slot and and on the outside and Richard Sherman has really saying his praises this week and, and thinks that Mosley is going to be just fine against Odo Beckham Jr. But, I mean, you look at the numbers. The, the Browns are completing just 57% uh, of their passes in, intended for OBJ. And, and that's not a, a terrible number, but it's not what we're used to seeing from him. And he does have 308 yards, so he is still on pace for well over 12, 1,200 yards over a 16-game season. But with just one touchdown, that long 89-yard touchdown coming against the the Jets in that Monday night game a few weeks back, I mean, what what have your impressions been of, of Odell Beckham Jr.? And, and why hasn't he gotten going uh, the, at the same level that he did with the Giants when, uh you know, I think there was a while there where he was averaging well over 100 yards per game with New York?
1: Well, it's interesting because I think that OBJ's impact goes beyond the stats. Uh, if you look at the game, especially last week, uh he drew defenders away from Nick Chubb. He drew defenders away from the tight ends. Like the Odell Beckham Jr. is the reason that Ricky Seals Jones was open for a 56 yard reception. Uh if you look at the stats cast, someone uh tweeted out a gif of it, which I watched probably a hundred thousand times because I loved it so much. But OBJ had this incredible cutback that drew a safety away from Ricky Seals Jones that left him open. And so I think that's really one of the amazing things that OBJ has done for this offense is that everyone expects Baker to target him every single time. And I think Baker knows that and OBJ knows that. So he has put himself in a position to draw the defenders away from the rest of the offense to allow Baker to spread the ball out more, because I want to say in the last game, uh, it was almost even amongst six different guys on their offense like Jarvis was getting touches Ricky Seals Jones was getting touches uh, Nick Chubb was getting touches OBJ got two receptions for 20 yards which doesn't look great on paper but he was the reason that a lot of these other guys were open there he was the reason that Nick Chubb was able to find these holes so even though he hasn't been putting up huge numbers the way he has in New York he's been making a massive impact on on the field so I have been extremely excited with just how he's been playing. And I just love that he has been so unselfish because that just goes against everyone saying, oh, OBJ is a selfish player. He wants all the touches. He wants all the receptions. And I mean, and I'm sure he does because he likes padding his own stats, but he cares about winning more. And I think that's what we're seeing in Cleveland is that he's willing to be the target for the, the other team's defense in order to leave the other guy's Open. And I and I think that's what he's been doing. And I think that's the impact. So to say that he hasn't gotten going, I don't think is really fair, because I think he has. I just think that Freddie is using him differently than he was being used in New York. And I, it was very successful uh, against the Ravens.
0: Yeah, the, the 49ers were very interested in in trading for OBJ in, in the offseason when it was clear the Giants were making him available. and And to your point, they're very particular about the type of star players that they might target in trades right like like the all the team first stuff that you mentioned putting winning first and all that it, it is something Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch really value which is you know why they didn't target Antonio Brown or or maybe why they're not eager to throw two first round picks to the Jaguars for Jalen Ramsey despite having an apparent need at cornerback uh, the 49ers do like those players and and so uh, it's interesting because we could be talking about the, the Niners and Browns going into this game with Odell Beckham Jr. being on the other side. Maybe if the 49ers didn't have the second overall pick in the recent draft, they, they would have been able to create a package that that would have made more sense for them. But they just they didn't want to move off of that number two pick and the chance to add Nick Bosa to the defense. And so far, Nick Bosa has been really good for the 49ers. The sack numbers don't say it, but I think he has 17 total pressures to lead the team. Um, he's been playing... In, in roughly half the snaps maybe a little bit more than half because he was coming off a high ankle sprain in the uh, it from that that he suffered early on in training camp and so after the bye week uh, he hasn't been on he wasn't on the the practice report on Thursday. and and so I bring up Bosa because to a larger point the 49ers pass rush has been really good and much improved from last season it was an obvious area of concern for them and now the browns come in, with a really good group of receivers, a good quarterback, a good running back. But I do think if there's a weakness on on that team or on that offense, it is the offensive line. And if the 49ers are, are going to beat Cleveland, it's going to take a really uh, encouraging performance from that defensive front. That could include a healthier Nick Bosa than they've had the first three weeks. So, Meredith, I'm curious what you think of, of the Browns' offensive line, how it's been playing this season, and what their approach is going to be going into Monday night.
1: Uh, it They were really disconcerting in the first two weeks. Uh, it didn't help that Greg Robinson got thrown out of the game uh, against Tennessee uh, for, what was it, kicking a guy in the head, I think? I can't remember because both he and Miles Garrett got thrown out for really stupid penalties and it made me so upset, but uh, the offensive line has really been a concern uh, ever since the Browns lost Joe Thomas, to be honest. It, it's one of those where you know, the left tackles, the most important position and they've been struggling. They have tried uh, ro- a rotating cast of characters between the right guard and the left tackle. And they've settled on Greg Robinson. And I still, I don't know. I, I still don't know how to feel about him just because it's been uh, of all of the elements of the Cleveland Browns team. I still say that the I still think that the offensive line is a little bit of a concern, so I am I am a little worried about that, uh, so I am hoping that they can kind of hold up against the Niners on Monday. That's always going to be, I think, the concern every single week for, for Browns fans because that's just the the one area that they haven't seemed to figure out yet.
0: Okay, well, before we talk about the Browns defense, let's take a quick break. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even on your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Indochina was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. It's really important for me when I'm covering a game or or having a, a meeting with important people that I'm dressed well, because when you dress well, and football players say this all the time, when you look good, you play good. It's similar for us in the non-sports world. Uh, So Indochino is the largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for $30 off your purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. All right, Meredith, so you said something earlier about Miles Garrett, and... uh, you know, the the potential of, of what he could do to really wreck the game for for the 49ers, particularly going up against Justin School, a rookie six-round pick from Vanderbilt, who a lot of uh, draft experts thought might go undrafted because he's not exactly an athletic marvel like uh, like Miles Garrett is. Uh, so it's a matchup that's certainly going to be one to watch because Garrett has, what, six sacks in four games, and, and I think he's a guy that is going to win Maybe multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards in in his career. Maybe even starting this year. How good has Garrett been, in in your opinion? And you know, is he the type of player that that can really wreck a game on his own and, and carry the rest of of this Cleveland defense, or is it going to take a, an entire team effort from from Cleveland to to help Garrett get going?
1: Well, I think the beauty of it is is that he doesn't need to do it on his own I mean I mentioned this before we started recording uh, week three against the Rams the entire Browns secondary were all backups like the entire secondary were, were injured and last week still three quarters of the secondary were backups so Miles Garrett I have complete confidence in him uh, that he could do it on his own but I think that Steve Wilkes has just shown that he is so good at at scheming up these defensive plays that Miles Garrett isn't going to need to but the one thing that I love about Miles Garrett is that he said he does what he says he's going to do. Like last year in the first game against the Steelers, he said he was going to sack uh, Ben Roethlisberger and he did twice. Like he got a, he got a full sack and then he got a strip sack uh, in game one last year. So, I mean, he just, he comes out and says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he goes and does it. And right now he's chasing Aaron Donald. Like that's who he wants to be. And I think it, it kind of shows when, when the uh when the Browns were against the Rams, that he was looking at Aaron Donald and saying, okay, I have to do that. And he did. So I've got complete confidence in Miles Garrett. Um completely biased also because he's probably one of my favorite players. The guy is massive. He's like 6'3, 250, 60 something pounds, and like 0% body fat. Like he is just he is an athletic freak. He's a Mack truck. You know, he's he has the ability to put quarterbacks in a body bag if he wants to uh and he's just he's a massive human being and he is so athletic and he's got a great defense around him uh I think that as the Browns defensive line starts to get healthier and we and the starters start to come back I think that's when teams need to start really really being afraid
0: so which uh which Browns defensive linemen are are not healthy and and who who could or or uh who could play monday night and and who might miss miss that game
1: oh my god hold on let me let me pull up this list (laughs) you caught me off guard with that question hold on (laughs) let's see so last week (laughs) inactives uh against baltimore denzel ward greedy williams sheldrick redwine morgan burnett denard avery uh kendall lamb And then Rashard Higgins, but, you know, Lamb and Higgins are both offensive players. But, yeah, that's that's who we had out next week. Uh, Denzel Greedy, Willie Harvey, Kendall Lamb didn't practice today, so they are unlikely for for Saturday. Um, Morgan Burnett, Sheldrick Redwine uh, came back to practice today, so hopefully they'll be back. So if they are active for Sunday, that'll be about half of the starting offensive line or excuse me, half of the starting defensive line. So it's a. it's interesting that, that the defense has been so plagued with injury so early in the season, and you haven't even noticed because of how well they've been playing and how well uh, Steve Wilkes has schemed up the Browns' defense. So that's uh, that's what we're looking at uh, for this week. And then also, uh, Richard Higgins, Hollywood Higgins, I know we're not talking about uh, the offensive at, at this point, but he might be coming back on uh, on Monday as well. He came back to practice, and that's going to that's gonna be a little bit dangerous. Um because Hollywood is Baker's guy like they that was his target for almost everything last year for every single one of his starts so having him come back is going to be uh it's going to be a boost on the offense so yeah that was that was our brief injury report that you threw me off guard with but that's okay that. I found my inactives list from last week
0: I do want to make a, a point about Miles Garrett because I mentioned the 49ers came, came sort of close to, to making a significant trade offer for Odo Beckham Jr. in, in the offseason before he went to the Browns. The Niners in 2016, they won a game. They were 1 13 at the time. They won a game on, on Christmas Eve. They beat the Rams before the Rams became good. Uh, under Chip Kelly, and they they went on to finish 2-14. and 14, But that victory over the Rams cost the 49ers a number one pick, which the Browns ended up using the following spring on Miles Garrett. Instead, the 49ers wound up with Solomon Thomas, picking third after trading back for the Bears, who traded up one spot to get Mitch Trubisky, which is looking like not such a great move from Chicago's standpoint. But we could be talking about this game from a completely different standpoint if Miles Garrett had wound up on the 49ers, which a lot of 49ers fans were hoping would happen. Based on how that 2016 season went, but because Garrett's on the other side and and, he, and going against Justin's school, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Kyle Shanahan does. And I wrote about this for the newspaper on Friday. In that the 49ers are going to do a lot of, I mean, they're going to do a lot of running the ball. They've been running the ball at a higher rate than anybody else in the league at 38 times a game. So they have the second best rushing attack from a productivity standpoint, averaging 175 yards a game. And they do play action at, at one of the highest rates in the NFL as well, which is predicated on success in the running game. So, what play action can can do is you can move the pocket, you you can isolate Jimmy Garoppolo far away from Miles Garrett's side of the field, roll him to the right off of play action, and maybe give Justin School a little bit of help too. Uh, by you know you could chip chip Miles Garrett with running backs and tight ends you mentioned george kittle earlier he's a he's a fantastic blocker both as in pass protection and in the running game but if you are using kittle and pass pro you're losing probably your most dynamic weapon in the passing game too which is another area of concern obviously but yeah i think miles garrett even more so than odell beckham jr uh, on the other side is is going to be probably the biggest mismatch problem for the 49ers against cleveland um just because of how freak of an athlete he is and because you can only do so much in terms of uh, helping Justin school without it really being a huge detriment to your offense. So I'm very curious to see what Kyle Shanahan does in terms of the running game and and trying to trying to get Miles Garrett maybe playing on his heels a little bit more with all these run action blocks that he'll have to face instead of just allowing him to pin his ears back and and go against Justin school in more traditional pass rushing scenarios.
1: Yeah, it is possible to contain Miles Garrett. The Titans did in Week One. Um, they had Taylor Lewan out for Week One, and Mariota was not on his back as much as he should have been in that game. So it is possible to contain Miles Garrett with a backup uh, left tackle. And I think if there's any offense that could do it, it would be a Kyle Shanahan designed offense. So uh, I agree with you on that one. I am interested to see it, but I'm also hoping that Miles Garrett has a Miles Garrett game. Uh, he didn't really have. I don't think he had any sacks. In the last game, maybe only I don't think he did, but he still played really well. And he's he's the backbone of the Browns defense. So I am extremely interested to kind of see how Shanahan puts the Niners offense up against Miles Garrett and uh, half of our backup secondary. You
0: you did mention earlier, I I think before you started recording your your familiarity with with Kyle Shanahan. I'm just curious what Kyle Shanahan's. rep is like in Cleveland after his one season there
1: well I think that was the last time the Browns had any kind of playoff contention hopes What was that, 2014 maybe not playoffs but yeah they were like Johnny Manziel year yeah I um and I didn't know this story but I heard uh an allusion to it about Kyle Shanahan uh with a PowerPoint presentation in Berea saying get me the fuck out of here or something like that um, I don't know that how much truth is in that but uh, I think he kind of saw what Johnny Manziel was and didn't want to be here and did not want to be associated with that um, now that was before my time uh, What was that 20 2014 2015 I was still in mm-hmm. Washington DC uh, which is also another uh, landing spot for both Shanahan's um, mm-hmm. and I wasn't too terribly impressed with him at that point but I think he was too much in the shadow of his father And I think at that time uh, in the 2014 and 2015 season, at least for the Redskins, I think that was kind of the turning point for that whole franchise where the DC fan base was looking at this team and kind of realizing Things are bad and getting worse under a Dan Snyder regime, and we're and I think it's come to a head this year, uh especially mm-hmm. with uh Gruden saying, "I don't know who's going to start for us on Sunday," which I think he said two days ago, either Tuesday or Wednesday, which I found extremely entertaining because I'm not in D.C. anymore and I don't have to worry about that. But I think that's why I my opinion for of Kyle Shanahan was a little tainted for a while because he was in the shadow of his father in D.C. and There is going to be no success with the Redskins as long as Dan Snyder owns it. And I think uh, Daddy Shanahan thought that he could out-coach that, and and he just couldn't. And Kyle Shanahan was stuck, I think, as offensive coordinator – not being able to do what he wanted to do with who he wanted to do it with. And then he goes to the Browns and had to deal with Johnny football. So it, he seems right. to be, uh, seems to be doing quite well for himself having gone to to San Francisco. So uh, he's definitely gained a few points in my book because after, after the DC years and the, uh, the Cleveland years, which were a little bit before my time here uh, you know, he didn't really have that great of a reputation, but I don't really think that there's any kind of ill, will towards him in this city Mm -hmm. Uh, quite frankly i wouldn't be surprised if most of the people around here forgot (laughs) that shanahan was with the browns for such a short period of time because there's just been so much turnover uh in that coaching position and in the front office that uh you know and, and even at quarterback i think browns fans are just kind of ready to uh red pill you know the last twenty years, <laughs> and and go forward with Freddie Kitchens and and Baker Mayfield and and Steve Wilkes and and Mike Prefer and everyone else that we've got, as well as John Dorsey. So there's not a lot of hatred towards Kyle Shanahan in the city at all, or at least not that I've uh, picked up on.
0: Yeah, so I, I made a mistake. I said it was 2015 in Cleveland. It was 2014, and That's he what was not He a was guess, the like me, coordinator there, the year they drafted Johnny Manziel, which was also the same year that Jimmy Garoppolo came out uh in in that same draft and it's interesting because I think Kyle Shanahan was asked and and I forget where he said this it might have been the a uh, a barstool podcast but he obviously didn't have a whole lot of personnel power when it came to or influence I should say when it came to the draft and I think he very much would have preferred to draft somebody like Garoppolo in the second round rather than use the first round pick on Johnny Manziel and you know it, it seems like Kyle Shanahan got. A pretty pretty encouraging first season from Manziel at least through the first 12 weeks the Browns were seven and four at one point with Manziel in in the mix there and then they lost the final five games of the season to not make the playoffs and before last year 2014 at seven and nine was the best record that that Cleveland had had in, in quite a long time so yeah. It's interesting how, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has been around for so long now. I know he's one of the younger head coaches in the league, but he's been a coordinator at so many different places and, and worked for so many different teams that like, and it's almost like he, he has connections to almost every coaching staff. Um, just last week, him and Mike Tomlin, they they were both on the staff in, in Tampa Bay all those years ago. Um, and, and so it, it's just funny, like, it's funny how incestuous the NFL is from the standpoint of all the coaching circles being super small and all the connections being made. Um, I mean, I think
1: that's just this industry in general. uh, I I found uh, just in, you know, I've moved to, I've been in four different markets in the past 10 years. And I think every market I've known somebody or someone has known me. And so Mm -hmm. I just feel like that's sports in general. Um, probably even much so much tighter with the uh, coaching circles because there's only, you know, 32 head coaching jobs uh, Mm -hmm. in the NFL. So that's definitely a much smaller circle. But I just I think that's like our our industry uh, just in general. Another one of our podcasts in the Blue Wire Network, uh, Press Pass with Kayla Anderson. Uh, She knows like half the people that I work with up here in in uh, Cleveland and I know most of the people that she works down with in, in Nashville because I was in Nashville for a year so it's funny when you kind of like talk to other people just in this industry finding out like who knows who and how everyone knows everyone it's it's a really interesting thing and and I think that we see that with the with the head coaches too. And uh but not to completely derail the conversation, which I did a little bit. I apologize. But no, the the one thing about Kyle Shanahan is I don't feel like he gets enough credit uh just because of how many places he's been and he didn't have immediate success like like uh Sean McVay. So like Sean McVay comes out as this millennial head coach and is immediately, you know, making the Rams look like the Patriots, like right out of the gates. And Kyle Shanahan has that same kind of head coaching talent that Sean McVay does, but he didn't really have the uh, immediate success right out of the gate. He went from, you know, offensive coordinator from this team to this team to this team to this team. And he's mm-hmm. just been bouncing around so much that he's finally found a place where he's starting to, to put things together and, and look like, you know, real veteran head coach and people forget how young he is. And they're so obsessed with Sean McVay that you forget that Kyle Shanahan is still really young. Like, I don't think he's quite in the millennial status that McVay is, but I think because he's had to move around so much and he's had so much failure first, Mm -hmm. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. And, you know, everyone, everyone loves an attractive millennial like head head coach, right?
0: (laughs) well shanahan turns 40 in december but he was so he's like
1: borderline because i think the like older generation or like the older set of millennials are like pushing mid-30s right now
0: yeah well i I think shanahan acts like a millennial like he listens a little wayne um he wears yeezys when he's not my man yeah uh you know he hangs out he throws a party every year uh after final cuts are announced at his house he uh He's been known to get after it here and there at, at you know, different functions. Um, would, you,
1: would you go to a party that was co-hosted by Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay? Like what yes, kind of absolutely. party would like that? I just imagine I mean,
0: I've been to the I combine in the owners meetings, which is more or less what what that what is. What that is. But. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I've never made it to the combine. That's one of the uh, one of the things on my bucket list as a as a sports media member. So I would love to go to the combine. Um even it and is it's, fun.
0: you will see you will see some things that like you, you'll walk into a restaurant or a hotel lobby and you'll just see these NFL power brokers just wandering around and it'll even be like two, three in the morning and people are just really getting after it. They would be like, wow, I did not know this person had it in them. It is and it's a so uh, close
1: too. like Indianapolis is only yeah. like a four and a half hour drive from Cleveland. Like it's yeah, you should do it. It's an but easy the, day trip. I just have to convince my boss to let me go. They're like, hey, give me a few days off so I can, you know, go out to the combine.
0: Yeah. Well, the, to your point, though, about about Shanahan maybe being overlooked a little bit, McVeigh was a, an assistant under him. You know, like McVeigh is running the offense that he learned from Kyle Shanahan. And so, so they would I,
1: throw a party together is what you're saying.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they're close. I don't know that they're like best friends, but they're definitely close. And, and there's a I like ton to of imagine that to they are.
1: Together. What's that? I like to imagine that they are.
0: That they're BFFs? Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, I think McVeigh. Uh, I don't know that he's single, but he's definitely not married. And, and Shanahan has, <laughs> I think, three kids, a yeah. wife and three kids. So I think they, they live a little bit different lives from from that standpoint. But you look at just from a football standpoint, McVeigh inherited a franchise quarterback. Like they had Jared Goff, and then he made the really smart decision of of hiring Wade Phillips to be his defensive coordinator – and then they were able to get some some really high-end players like to Tlaib and Marcus Peters early on to, to take that defense from another level. When, when Shanahan took over the 49ers, they did not have a quarterback. And instead of drafting somebody like Pat Mahomes or uh, Deshaun Watson in 2017, which they could have and, and probably should have now that we know how good Mahomes and, and Watson are, uh, I mentioned earlier they, they took Solomon Thomas with the number three pick in that draft. Um, They probably Kyle Shanahan and would probably be a lot more competitive with the Rams early on in in 2017. If that's the route that he went instead of maybe hoping that they would get Kirk cousins uh, in free agency, had they not been gifted sort of gifted the, the Jimmy Garoppolo trade from, from uh, from the Patriots. So it's interesting how that works because Sean McVay was put in a better situation, I think, overall, just in terms of the talent that the Rams had, than Kyle Shanahan was. But and McVay gets a ton of credit, and deservedly so, because he turned around the Rams. He turned around the Rams and, and made them into a powerhouse. I know they're losing right now as we're recording this to the Seahawks on Thursday Night Football, but um, I think I mean, if Shanahan Browns, the had the Browns
1: held their own, the Browns held their own against the the Rams. They only lost by a touchdown. Like the and at, at one point. I legitimately thought that the Browns were going to win that game. I think it was just on that late interception by Baker that kind of sealed that one for the Rams. But I mean, I think that's, you know, not anything against the Rams or or Sean McVay on that. I think that's more of a testament to how well the Browns can play if they really put their minds to it. But uh, yeah, I've got baseball on in the background because uh, speaking of Washington, D.C., my beloved Nationals are in the... Uh, NLDS against the Dodgers
0: yeah I went to uh I went to the A's game last night and it did not oh, go so particularly jealous. well. so I mean I you know uh, it didn't
1: go great for the A's but I'm just jealous that you got to be there because I would have mm-hmm. killed to have been at the uh, Nats Brewers game the other night
0: mm-hmm. yeah well the Rams just scored a touchdown uh it's it's gonna there be halftime, go. and it looks like it's gonna be a one-point game but uh before we wrap this thing up I'm curious uh, what's your prediction for Monday night? I think I have a feeling where you're going to go, but uh, I I want to hear I want to hear your prediction. Ooh.
1: God, I'm so bad at predictions. Uh my prediction against Baltimore, I think it was like I think I predicted that one to be like 17-14 in favor of the Browns. Uh, and then the Browns just wound up almost beating that almost beating the Ravens by 20 until they gave up a garbage time touchdown. But I think looking at the the matchup in and of itself, I think it is going to be a close game. Um, I am predicting a Browns win on this, and I think I might go with the same score that I predicted for the Ravens. So I think it's going to be 17 1714 uh, in favor of the Browns.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I I honestly have no idea where to go with this. I, I think-
1: We're just- not in the prediction business here, Chris.
0: I know. I know. Everyone kind of- wants me right all the time. That's like the most important thing is being right. But-
1: Oh, are you kidding yeah. me? I am wrong all the damn time. <laughs> and I will admit it. And I hate admitting it, but I, I'm, I'm wrong a lot.
0: So I, I think- I mean, I, I kind of need to be right because I write a, a weekly thing for, for Saturdays, which is fantasy and betting advice. And so far for the for the Niners, I'm two and one against the spread. Uh, I think the Niners are favored by three and a half, which means this is basically a pick em game. And, and maybe that half point is, uh, is a product of the Niners getting the bye week. I'm going to take the Niners to win, but I think I'm going to take the Browns to cover in a nail biter. Uh, I just think these teams are evenly matched, and I think the 49ers, just given the balance that they have defensively, they don't really have a ton of weaknesses right now, maybe aside from missing Akela Witherspoon. <laughs> aside from Witherspoon's absence, I do think that this it's a really good defense, both, both against the run and the pass. They haven't allowed a rushing touchdown yet. Uh, maybe that changes against Nick Chubb, but the defensive front is really good, and I think the D line should should be able to play really well against that Browns front, and maybe negate the uh, the absence of of Witherspoon to the point where the defense can still hold its own. And, and offensively, I just think Kyle Shanahan is probably going to figure out a way to to contain Miles Garrett, like like you mentioned, he he was in that first game in, in the opener, uh, even when Tennessee was out with even when Tennessee was without their starting tackle um uh, but i think it's going to be a close game i think these are two super evenly matched teams they've both been really inconsistent throughout the season and i'm looking forward to it like i know you could probably relate to this a little bit the niners have have had at least 10 losses in the last four seasons so the fact that they're 3 and 0 right now is just fun from my perspective because the games matter <laughs> and and they're they're potentially contending for a playoff spot so It'll be fun to see, but Meredith, thank you so much for for joining me. For, for thanks for having time. me on.
1: This was fun.
0: Yeah, it's. I got you,
1: to. You produce, I got to take the,
0: the podcast.
1: I do. That's we forgot to mention that I'm like yeah. super producer of Candlestick Chronicles, which is such a uh, a funny thing to think about that I'm like here in Cleveland producing radio, uh, doing podcasts and just you know being in the sports world in general but uh within the blue wire family uh, i am a producer that's one of my main jobs and you guys are you guys are one of my pods that i produce so it was actually fun to get to talk about sports in a podcast setting rather than just the uh bullshitting and trash talking that we have in our group text
0: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) well we appreciate all your hard work definitely appreciate your insight and perspective for coming on uh, I hope you enjoy watching the game on uh, Monday and enjoy the baseball playoffs. And we will talk to you guys after the Niners-Browns game. We'll record in another podcast. I think Kyle will be back from his vacation. And, uh, and we'll have another episode for you early next week. So talk to you guys then.